the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Are you looking for truth from God's Word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons, Bible teacher and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando. Listen now as Stan makes it clear. If you will, turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of John, John chapter 14. Now, some of you that are here today, you might be thinking, you know, my heart is in trouble too much. I mean, everybody has the challenges of life, but things seem to be going pretty well for me. I really believe that you're probably within 18 inches of someone that is going through some type of an issue that has really caused their life to be not stable and not routine like it normally is. I'm looking here at our wonderful group of people and I see a family that's here that only a couple of weeks ago they were singing songs with dad being in their presence and now dad is in the presence of the Lord and they're dealing with that and they'll be having their memorial service on Tuesday and many of you know about that, the Chun family. And then I could think of last week while I was preaching here, one of our board members from Make It Clear Ministries on the founding board, he was uh, waiting to pick up his fiancée. Obviously, they live in separate places, and she never uh, answered the phone, never came to the door, and finally found out that she had collapsed inside her home. That was on Sunday. And as of Friday, they found out now through surgery and everything else that she has stage 4 brain tumor and only has three months to live. And so I was just thinking that last Saturday night a week, here was this man that was anticipating a great day of worship with his fiancée in a service on Sunday morning, only to find that it will not last, and we don't know how that'll be. Now, his whole world is rocked by that. There are others that are seated here today, or maybe listening on the radio, and they're experiencing the drifting of their son or daughter away from the faith, and perhaps into a world of, of crime or or drugs, or something that they just sense is a freight train ready for a wreck. And then there are others that are thinking that they're doing okay financially, but it just seems like every household appliance or something with the car stops working, and they don't know how they're going to make payment on some of that. So today, there's a lot more people than just you in this room that are struggling with what might be a troubled heart. And then there are those that perhaps could be a little bit like the apostles that we're going to study here in John chapter 14. Their world at that time was a little confusing because they had moved away from their industries and careers and they were following this new man named Jesus that they were learning a great deal about, especially as they were trying to connect him to the teaching of the Messiah in the Old Testament and what he's saying now and what the Messiah is going to be like even in the future. And they're trying to make sense of all of this and surrounding that activity is a bunch of people that are heckling Jesus. And then they're hearing word that they're out to kill Jesus and they're part of this Jesus band and I'm sure their world was a, a little bit uh, rocking as well but nothing what their world was going to look like in the next week for what we're studying right now is a real event and it was at the time of Jesus Christ having the Last Supper and he's giving some of the last teachings to his disciples now we have two more chapters of this but only a few more hours of his life and so he's equipping them for something that yet they have no clue. They don't, they've never experienced the presence of the Holy Spirit coming to live inside of them. They did not know anything about the launching of the church and the horrific amount of persecution and martyrdom that they were facing. 
and that that in itself would rock your world about where would you sleep and what about your family and how about your health and how you'll pay for food and all that that would go on in their world. So I want you to know these are real-life men attached in some ways to women to know that their world is going to be rocked, yet they don't know that at that time. So I would like to encourage you all that if you think things are going real well and you wish you had another message for today because of other things, I'm not a prophet. I don't know what your world is going to be like tomorrow. And obviously, I have no crystal ball. There is no crystal ball. But I will tell you this. The Lord already knows what he is going to permit to come into your life. And perhaps some of that will be prescribed. And so that way, that way it would be very good for us to lean into today's message so that if our world is rocking now, or if it will be rocked tomorrow, that we are spiritually prepared to handle it from a God who says that he can and will comfort a troubled heart. So again, if you will, turn to John chapter 14. and give you a little bit of a lead-up of what's happening. And since we've been in this study for almost a month, a month today, I don't have a lot of time to do a lot of review. But to just go back, the very first part of it says, do not let your heart be troubled, implying that we can control how our heart responds to trouble. And so that means that it's not something that we have to just kind of roll over and die and just kind of feel like we're on a pity party. We can control our own heart, and the Lord says that. What we will learn next week is that this chapter actually has two bookends. The first part of the chapter talks about don't let your heart be troubled. At the very end of the chapter, it says it again. So all in this is the context, the melody of this chapter is having comfort for a troubled heart. Now again, we know that a troubled heart is not a sinful thing. So if your heart is troubled, it not necessarily means that it's sinful because world, world things happen to us. Even that same word, Jesus had a troubled heart. It's when you permit it to overtake you and you do not deal with it properly and you allow that troubled heart now to move into the area of sin or guilt and you react instead of respond. So you're on a slippery slope with a troubled heart. But God says there's a way that you can have comfort even in the midst of that. So what we learn is Jesus said, believe in me as you do God. And that's to remind us that yes, we have a lot of people that want to do the God language and talk about God. But Jesus says, you get to God the Father through me, so you have to believe in me. So the rest of our series in this context alone is on developing an intimacy with Jesus Christ. Now, I don't want to dissect or trisect the Trinity too much because we know that God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit are three entities all in one, and even that is a hard time to describe. And yet at the same time, the Lord talks about intimacy and really getting to know Him. And I hope that you have. I hope that you believe that Jesus is not only God, but Jesus Christ died on the cross, paid for your sins, and you believe in Him and what He's done for you. You are trusting in Him. Then he says, I'm going to come back for you and take you with me. Now, how does that comfort a troubled heart? That means that you might not have the trouble taken out of your heart, but it might be that you yourself will be taken from that conflict that you have in your life right now. And that might not happen in this life. It could happen in the next life. So I promise you, for all eternity, you will not have to endure a troubled heart. And then he says here that you will do even greater things than I have done. Now, we know that's more in scope and a wide range of things, but... It also works for you right here. That means that there is no problem that is so big that with Christ you can't be victorious in it. You don't have to be a survivor. You can be a thriver in it because you now have the Holy Spirit in your life. We'll talk about the timeline of that in just a little bit. And then we learn that to comfort our troubled heart is that all we have to do is to ask anything in His name. Now, it's not just a blank check. It says, in His name. And there's a lot of qualifiers of what that means. So if you do it right, you can ask for anything and it'll be done unto you. Let me encourage you to get that CD as I unpacked all of that so that you can ask. 
which means that no matter what you're going through, you might not have access to a computer and email to go get help from someone. Your phone might be dead, so you can't call someone to pick you up with a flat tire. But I can tell you that no matter what you go through, you are instantly at the throne of grace with the Lord and His ear is inclined to you because He already knows what you're going through and He's allowing that to come into your life to help bring intimacy to you. And then we learn more than just the fact that uh, we can ask for anything. We learn that we need to obey Him. Now, I'm going to say a little bit more about that today because I want you to see that loving the Lord and obeying the Lord are like two peas in a pod and one comes before the other, but you can't separate the two. If it's authentic loving the Lord, obedience will happen. And if you're truly obeying the Lord, then you're going to love Him with all your heart first. And so that's brought together. So I simply say this about the troubled heart. A question you might ask yourself, while you're going through that conflict that is causing your heart not to be troubled... Are you at the same time turning yourself away from the Lord and trying to resolve your problems your way instead of God's way? Have you now have what the teenagers call a tood? That's an attitude, a tood toward the Lord because you're just not willing to take that conflict and then deal with it from a biblical point of view. So just kind of use that as a check up from the neck up. And then we learn that the Holy Spirit was sent in a very special way to comfort us. And we spent a lot of time on the Holy Spirit last week and I hope you'd get that message because we really talked about the ministries of the Spirit. We talked about the value of knowing the Holy Spirit properly and why some people will talk about the Spirit but they don't know Him very well. And so the Holy Spirit is there. And I will talk a little bit more about the Spirit even today as I bring our message to a close. So you want to lean into that. Because today we are going to talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit and their ministry in our life to bring us comfort when we have a troubled heart. Well, that's some of the old news, but it's still connected. So we're just going to kind of keep on walking on this journey of how that we can have comfort with a troubled heart. So let's go back to our scripture, if you will. And if you will, let's pick it up at verse 18. Here it says, Jesus speaking, he says, I will never leave you as orphans and I will come to you. And so when you're going through this troubled time, I want you to remember it's not just the Lord is with you. I want you to know the Lord says, I'm not only with you, but I will never, ever, ever, ever leave you. As a personal note, my wife's sister, Susan, died of cancer. And she too started with breast, it went to her lungs, went to her brain, and then she died. Two-year journey that she was on. At the very end of her journey, when she knew that she was going to pass, um, her strongest request through all of this family-wise was that wherever she was, whether it's a hospital or whether it's at home, that she would never be left alone for one second. She did not want to be alone. She wanted to pass into eternity with at least a family member at her side. Well, that was a very easy request because she didn't even need to make it. We wanted to be with her. But that told me a lesson that oftentimes when we go through deep times, some people will cocoon and separate. But in reality, though... They would much prefer someone who knew how to scratch them where they're itching during that time of a, of a heart. They want someone nearby when they go through that. And we know how important it is to have those right kind of people. I don't mean the miserable comforters, counselors that Job had. I'm talking about those good people that really know what makes us tick and tick. That can wrap their arms around us, maybe with words or deeds, to let, them, let us know that they really care for us because we don't want to be really, really, really alone. I do find this, though. Those people that are living in sin, they more likely want to be alone. In fact, Scripture says that they flee even when no man pursues them. So I come back to this and say, when we go through this, the Lord says, I know you need someone. And why 
people can really help you, there are times when they absolutely remain powerless. When does your friends become powerless? When you have a question that can't be answered and they can't answer it. It's when that, humanly speaking, there is nothing they can do to fix it. If you don't mind, men, I'd like to speak to you and to me. We've seen times when our precious loved ones, our wife or our children, and they go through something that there's no human way we can fix it. We could fix a bike. We might be able to do something and tinker with their computer or replace their computer. But there's times when our loved ones go through something that there is no magic wand that we have that can fix it. And wives, listen for a moment. When you see your husband and he's falling all over himself and he's frustrated and there's a little bit of anger in there, it's because he sees something broken in your life. Maybe it's your health, often it is. And he can't fix it. Why? Because men are fixers. They've got to fix something if it's broken. And so when someone can't fix you, they can't help you. Now I said that to say this. The person who's permitted to prescribe what you're going through is the Lord. He is the one who says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. We've adopted three kids. Two of them officially adopted. The third one was a Hanai daughter. We've kept for a number of years before she went off to Bible school. That being the case, they all had abandonment issues. Now, if you know anything about counseling, you might know what that would be like, especially when it's a child. And our two boys, all of them actually, all of them knew their birth parents very well, and their birth parents threw them away. Okay? So that being the case, they had what is known as an abandonment issue. So we had two things, two responsibilities. One is to do all that we can to prove to them that we will not abandon them. And humanly speaking, it's still almost a responsibility we humanly couldn't fulfill totally. There's going to be a time that I'll say something or not say something or Carol do something or not do something that the kids will interpret it as. They don't love me. They're just like all the others and they do transference on this. That'll happen. The second was, remember the first is for us to do what we can to be very sensitive to overcoming, humanly speaking, that abandonment issue. The second was, is to accept the fact that we can't, help them accept the fact that we can't, but then give them someone who will never abandon them, which would be the Lord. So we were on a full court press to make sure they knew scripture, they were involved in Awana, they got involved in CEF during the summer, that they were being taught when they could go to a Christian school, they did, so that they were just inundated with the very truths, that's the key, the truths of the presence of the Lord. So yeah, we can tell them, we can model and mentor, but they had to really engage Christ themselves to know that he would never leave them. Now, when I went through this passage, it's such a short verse, and it looks like I just want to park on this verse because it's so rich, and if I think you get this, we probably get the whole chapter. But go back to the passage again. He says, I will never leave you as orphans. Now, remember, our Lord is a very loving Lord. He is alive today. He was alive then. What he taught then was for them then and for us now, and here's what's going on. He knows that he will leave these guys. We've already studied it in the passage. We're going to see it again. He is going to leave them. He has to leave them. He's got to kind of get away from them, go to the cross. These guys abandon him. Talk about an abandonment issue that the Lord could have had. So he goes to the cross, all right? And so he essentially, he left them for that moment. But what he didn't do is he didn't leave them never to come back again. That's generally what happens in an orphan situation. That's why this word is chosen here, all right? So he's saying here, I will never leave you as I would or as a, not as he would, as an orphan would be left. So he is coming back. Now he came back to dynamics. He came back after the resurrection, and he showed himself visibly, and I'll talk about that in a moment. But then he came in the essence of the Holy Spirit, when he came when the Holy Spirit was given to the church, to those believers, 50 days later. So again, he said, I will never leave you as orphans. 
And the beautiful part about that is the Lord knew everything that was going on. It was all part of the plan. Everything was to help those guys know who he was so they would have their marching orders into the future and into their careers and purpose for existence. I will never leave you. Then he says, I will come to you. Now, I've kind of already talked about that. So the idea is, he says, I will never leave you, but I will for a while and I will come to you. Now, if you would, for those of you that want a little bit deeper than what I'm giving you this morning, I want to give you this. Most of you that have been following me, I try more cases than not to keep showing you the Trinity in Scripture or keep showing you the Trinitarian thought in Scripture. I want you to see again that you have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Once again, that concept of never leaving us is a concept that is reserved for all three entities letting you know that the entire Godhead says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So if you will, for just a moment... Let's kind of look at that passage when he says, I will never leave you and I will be with you and we're all going to be together. So let's follow along, if you will, for just a second on that. I will never leave you and be a part of it. Look, if you will, at chapter 14, verse 16, just two verses. He said, I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper. And we already know that's the Holy Spirit, that he may be with you forever. So point number one, the Holy Spirit says he'll never leave you. So even though bodily you will not see Christ, he will not sit in a chair and you can have a dialogue with Christ physically speaking, I want you to know that the Holy Spirit says, I will never leave you. Look up here for a moment. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere present, not in this, that's pantheism. He's not in everything, but he's everywhere present. Yet the Holy Spirit, God, is in you as well as abiding with you so that wherever you are, whatever you're going through, you are never, ever, ever, ever alone. You can't hide from him. You can't run from him. Psalms talks about that as well. Even when I turned my back, he was there. He's everywhere. And he's in you. So now you have the Holy Spirit. In this passage, verse 18 says, I will never leave you. I will come to you. So this is the Lord himself, Jesus now saying, I will never leave you. Now again, it's in the ministry of the Holy Spirit later on, but it's letting you know the Trinity is involved. Leave your place, or no, don't leave. Hold your place here and go to Hebrews chapter 13. This is critical because I want to bring it to you now in a contextual situation so that you know that while theologically he is always with you, I want you to know he's just not with you like he's hanging around like a fly He's with you so that whatever you're going through, you are going through it together so it's an intimate thing with you and God. So look at chapter 13, Hebrews, and I'm going to pick it up at verse 15. It says here, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Then it says in verse 5, for he himself has said. Now, in this context, it's talking about developing an attitude of contentment particularly as it relates around finances or resources, which now tells you that perhaps your troubled heart is specifically over finances. And often it is. It's not uncommon to have that. Other scriptures that go with it says that if you have this desire to become rich, it's, you're going to be pierced through like a, like a sword that goes into your heart and it's twisted with many sorrows, many conflicts, many troubled hearts. So whether it's because you chose to have this by lusting after more money to be rich. By the way, having money and being rich is not a sin. It's the desire for more. Poor people can be just as bad as rich people wanting more and more and more. So it's not about money. It's about wanting more, the love of money. Now stay with me. So in this context, it's talking more about that. If you want to go broader context, it's talking about marriage and fornication and broken relationships. So you can talk about relationships. And in all of that, he says this. 
Be content with what you have, obviously, if it's in the Lord. So maybe your troubled heart is, is that you are lacking contentment. We all do it. I struggle with that, too. You know, you always want a bigger car, bigger house, more this, more that, less this, less that, because we're, we're just not content. We're bombarded with a tsunami of information coming through so many resources out there to tell us what we have is not good enough. We need something else or something better. Now, stay with me in the passage. So he says, being content with what you have. Now, why should I be content with what I have? So even in the struggles that we have, he says, for he himself has said, I will never desert you. What a neat word, desert you. Other translation says, I will never forsake you. Nor will I ever forsake you. Another translation says, leave you. So you have desert you or forsake you. I will never do these things. Now stop for a moment. Why does he use the word desert and forsake? Maybe I could say it by using two other English words that are very synonymously close. So here's where we are. I could say, leave you. I'm going to leave a bunch of you today. I may be the last one here, so you'll leave me. But in that case, I'll leave you. When I leave you, that means nothing more than I'll see you again. I'll leave you. All right? I'm coming back. All right? I'm leaving you. But there'll still be that party. Some of you I won't see until next Wednesday or next Sunday, maybe. Maybe Wednesday. Yeah. All right. Then you have the word forsake. Forsake means goodbye. You'll never see me again. In some cases, goodbye and good riddance. So now you have people that feel that people are going to leave me or forsake me. And the Lord says, however you want to interpret that, I want you to know that I'm not going to just say goodbye and then come back later. I'm not going to forsake you, which means I'm going to leave you and I will never, ever, ever come back. What I want you to say, I'm not going to forsake you or leave you. No matter what, I will be with you forever. Now, remember how I'm making the case for the Trinity here. The Holy Spirit will never leave us. He'll always be with us forever. Jesus says, I will always be with you. I will come to you. I will be with you, all right, in the person of the Holy Spirit. These verses are taken from the Old Testament where the Lord God Almighty, all right, so now you've got God the Father, so to speak, true, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, and he's saying the same thing. Now, what context is he saying that in? He is now giving a charge to the leader of the Jews to remind the people as they go into the promised land that no matter what foes they're going to face, humanly speaking, the enemies that are out there, the Lord says, I will always be with you. So now we move it away from just money or relationships, but it could be any enemy that we might have, the Lord says, I will be with you. Now you could almost define your own enemy. Now why am I saying all of this? Well, while I'm splitting some hairs about the different kind of troubled hearts you might have and from the sources of those, Really, Scripture goes, yeah, it is this, but it's not only that. It's kind of like all over. So what he's doing is he's saying, be content with you financially. Then he takes a verse that talks about knowing the Lord will never forsake you when you go to battle. So he's really saying it doesn't really matter. Whatever you're going through, whoever you are, you will never go it alone. You'll never go into marriage alone. You'll never go into parenting alone. You'll never take on a new career alone. You'll never go off to college alone. You will never have to face the judge alone. You will never have to face the doctor, the surgeon, and the mortuary representative alone. We'll go back to the passage of Hebrews 13. So he says here, I will never desert you, nor will I ever, ever forsake you. So what's the result of that? Verse 6. So that we confidently say, other translations say, boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Squeaky little men. 
whoever, whatever power or authority they might have over my life, it really doesn't matter because ultimately when the dust settles in the end of my busy life, I want you to know the Lord is always there for me. He will never forsake me. And I can boldly say, Lord, you are my helper. Now remember, the help that you might get may not be with the auto repairman. It's not going to be with tech when you're calling IT tech somewhere. You may not get that kind of help. But what the help you'll get is the help that means more for us as Christians. That's this. That we can endure whatever sufferings that we go through cheerfully and knowing that God is in charge and we can boldly say this because he has comforted our troubled hearts. And that's what this passage is about. So now you have Lord God taken from Deuteronomy and Psalms. You also have Jesus and the Holy Spirit taken from John 14. So I want you to know that this is beautiful. You have the overwhelming presence of the Godhead who will never leave you nor forsake you so you can boldly say, the Lord is my helper. You will not be left as an orphan. So no matter what we go through, brethren, I want you to know you're never alone. So if I could um, use this, <clears throat> it sounds like an excuse. Please don't accept it as that. There will be times that your pastor won't be there. There'll be times that your pastor's wives won't be there or a staff member. There'll be times that we don't function the way you would hope us to function in your life. And I grieve if that's the case, if we've laid down on our responsibility and tell me if I have and I'll, I'll, I'll grieve it and confess it and forsake it and do right. But at the same time, we're not God and nobody is. But God is God and he loves you with an everlasting love and he is always there. And the good news is he often will send people to help you, to be there too. And never forget, he's also got myriads of angels. And that's another theology some other time. You're listening to Make It Clear with the teaching of Dr. Stan Pons, founder of Make It Clear Ministries and president of Florida Bible College in beautiful Orlando, Florida. Make It Clear is dedicated to taking the Word of God with clarity into every person's world. It is the support of listeners like you who make the ministry of Make It Clear possible. You can provide your tax-deductible gift to Make It Clear online by going to makeitclear.org. Or you can mail your gift to Make It Clear. P.O. Box 607-901, Orlando, Florida, 32860. Thank you for helping us Make It Clear. If you would like to have Dr. Pond speak at your church or event, please send us an email at tellmemore at makeitclear.org. Thank you, and remember to make it clear. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 